How big is your God? Here's Pastor Xavier Reese. Daniel Webster expresses belief in the divinity of Jesus Christ and his dependency on his atoning work as Savior. One said to him, Mr. Webster, can you comprehend how Christ could be both God and man? No, sir. If I could comprehend it, he would be no greater than myself. I feel that I need a superhuman Savior. That's good. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Most religions are governed by a God who has a seemingly unquenchable appetite for power and authority. But what happens when the one true God comes to earth as a servant king? That's the God Pastor Xavier explores in his current study from the book of Isaiah. Let's join him in chapter 42 for today's study, The Servant of the Lord. The prophet Isaiah provides for us a sneak preview of the Messiah to come through a threefold lens. We're looking back at it. They're looking forward. We see it much clearer. They saw it through a glass darkly. We have the advantage. Let me read these verses and I'll give you the threefold lens that he presents this coming Messiah. Behold, my servant whom I uphold, my elect one in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the Gentiles. He will not cry out nor raise his voice, nor cause his voice to be heard in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, a smoking flax he will not quench. He will bring forth justice for truth. He will not fail nor be discouraged till he has established justice on the earth, and the coastlands shall wait for his law. Thus says God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spreads forth the earth and that which comes from it, who gives breath to the people in it and spirit to those who walk on it. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness and will hold your hand. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the Gentiles, to open blind eyes, to bring out prisoners from the prison, those who sit in darkness from the prison house. I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory I will not give to another, nor my praise to carved images. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I declare before they spring forth, I tell you of them. Sing to the Lord a new song, and his praise from the ends of the earth, you who go down to the sea and all that is in it, you coastlands and you inhabitants of them. Let the wilderness and its cities lift up their voice, the villages that Keter inhabits. Let the inhabitants of Selah sing. Let them shout from the top of the mountains. Let them give glory to the Lord and declare his praise in the coastlands. The prophet Isaiah provides for us a sneak preview of the Messiah to come through a threefold lens. The character of his person is given to us in verse 1 through 4. The character of his mission in verse 5 through 9 and the character of his praise in verse 10 through 12. He begins with the character of his person in the first four verses. People are the object. People are the instrument of God's hand. People are the means by which God has manifested himself and his glory. 
He has chosen man to represent him. So it's important that the one who he chooses is one of character. Notice first in verse 1, he is the obedient son of God. The father identifies the obedient son of God by the title, My Servant. The title is used for different individuals in the book of Isaiah. If you've been reading Isaiah, you have picked this up already. It is used for Isaiah himself in chapter 20, verse 3. It is used for Eliakim in chapter 22, verse 20. It is used of Israel, the servant nation. We've seen it in chapter 41a. We'll see it in 43.10 and other passages. But he uses it for the Messiah. This is a classic example. In verse 19, he'll do it again. Chapter 43.10 and many other places. As we get move on, 55, 53, the classic one. The suffering Messiah, the servant of Jehovah. In fact, Matthew quotes this passage in fulfillment of Jesus in Matthew 12, 17 through 21. He quotes Isaiah. Isaiah also uses it for Cyrus, but not so much my servant, but indirectly. He calls Cyrus God's shepherd and God's Messiah, anointed also. And we find this, as we saw in chapter 41, verse 2 through 3, and we'll see it again in chapter 44, 28, and 45, 1, where God calls Cyrus by name 150 years before he's born, and how he would defeat Babylon by going under the levee gate, deflecting the river Euphrates, and becoming the next empire of the world. We've seen Assyria, the rod of God, the rod of God's wrath, Cyrus is going to be God's shepherd. He's anointed to liberate and send back his people from Babylon. He's telling this before it happens, before Babylon's even a great empire to an extent. Or even Babylon's in existence and it's climbing and it is power, but Assyria is reigning at that time when he's talking about it. But Cyrus, Medo-Persia, is nothing. And he's calling them out by name. Notice the command is to behold my servant, whom I uphold. The implication is an admiration of God, his coming servant, instead of the dead idols. He has just talked the previous chapter about idols. He's going to hit it again. He's going to hit it continuously towards, to the end. Because it is the contrast. Remember, Hezekiah had a seeming re reform. Many people turned to him, but it was superficial. When he died, much of the people went back to idolatry. He says, don't look at idols. Look at me. They cannot deliver you. I can deliver you. Don't trust in them. Trust in me. Now, we don't make idols today, and, but there's still people that worship idols in that. I came out of a religious idolatrous background, Catholicism, and you have your saints and your virgins and everything else. Uh, and that still is, is a stronghold in the world. But in the United States, we don't think of that kind of thing. But we have idols. We have our wives, our children, our cars. Anything can be an idol. Your job, whatever is the master passion for your life, that is your God. Whatever motivates you to get up every morning, that is your God. The indication is the source of the Messiah's strength. I will uphold him. 
Here you see the oneness of the Father and the Son in the plan of redemption. The Son being obedient and submission, the Father being the one standing behind the plan. Notice also, he calls my elect. The elect one or chosen one in whom the Father sold delights. The author of the book of Hebrews quotes the psalm saying, Behold, I have come in the volume of the book. It is written of me to do thy will, O God. Psalm 40, verse 7, and he quotes it in Hebrews 10, 7. Again, remember that God had progressively revealed the coming Messiah. It's an ongoing thing. Or He is the elect, the chosen one. Now, through the scripture, you go and say, and the word elect is used different ways. It's used for Israel. It's used for Christians. So you've got to study the context. Not everywhere it says elect, and that's where people get in trouble with Matthew 24, Mark 13, and Luke 21 before the coming of Christ. They say the elect. Well, the elect in that context is Israel, not the church. The church is out of here already. So the context is going to tell you who are the elect. The elect are used for Israel. The elect is used for the church. So you must make the distinction. Jesus said, and he who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I always do those things that please the Father. Jesus said, I and the Father are one. You've seen me, you've seen him. I please him. I do always those things that please the Father. Which father does not delight in a son who is obedient and submissive? The son is unto perfection. In fact, the Father put his spirit in him. That's another promise here. The Holy Spirit being the third person of the Trinity. And so you have in the scriptures very clear that in the plan of salvation, you both have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All three are involved. Just like all three are involved in the creation. Sometimes it says the Father created, like in the beginning God, Elohim created. Then the New Testament tells us that everything created by Jesus Christ. And then the second verse of Genesis tells the Spirit hovered upon the face of the deep and gave form to it. It's not a contradiction. It's when the scripture in its context is focusing on one of the persons of the Godhead. They are the creator. They are behind the source of the creation. And so are the others. It's a complete picture. It's no contradiction. Three persons, one God. Not three gods, one God. Three persons. And so the Trinity is throughout the scriptures here again now. In fact, John tells us in John 3.34 that the Father did not give Jesus the Spirit by measure. Why? Because he's God. How can you give God part of the Spirit, which is the third person of the Trinity? He has to have the fullness of the Spirit. He's God himself. And so it was through the Spirit of God that Jesus depended on the Father daily to walk and to fulfill all that he did, just as you and I have to depend upon him. When he came, he walked as a man. Being God, he didn't use any of his powers as God, but as a man, he depended on the Father. That's why he got up to pray. That's why he continued to walk in obedience and, and, and went to the Father. So he can give you and myself an example. Because if he could fulfill it as God, then how can he ask me to do it? He did it as a man depending on the Father to give me that example. But notice also the chosen one would bring forth justice to the Gentiles. Still speaking about his character there. The Messiah would die for the Gentiles. This is a progressive revelation from the beginning. You recall way 
Isaiah from the beginning, chapter 2, verse 2, chapter 11, verse 10, and many other portions, he's talked and mentioned the Gentiles. This is nothing new with the second division of Isaiah. He's told us about them in the first half. The Messiah would be the one who would have one flock. He would be one shepherd, both the Jew and Gentile. John makes that very clear in John 10, 16. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them in to have one sheep, one shepherd. One flock. This was the common repeated revelation to the Jew. Beginning back all the way to Abraham in Genesis 12, 1 through 3. That in you shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Verse 3. From the beginning, the Gentiles were included. Don't get in your mind that the Gentiles were plan B if plan A failed. The Gentiles were included from the beginning in plan A. The timing, how it would come about, that's a different matter. But they were included from the beginning. Israel was to be the witness to the nations and accept them as they proselytized into the nation. So the Old Testament was centripetal. People came in. The New Testament church is centrifugal. We go out to the nations. There's a distinction between old and new, wife and bride. We don't stay in here and say, oh, you guys come on in. No, we go out, share the gospel. We go out to the world. There's a basic difference between Israel and the church. In fact, Isaiah has mentioned the ministry of Jesus as he's doing here way back when we did the message in chapter 9, verse 7, and chapter 11, verse 2, 5. He'll mention them again, 61 of verse 1, the ministry of the Messiah. But notice, secondly, that he is the perfect man, verse 2 and 3. He will not cry out, nor raise his voice, nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. In other words, he will not be contentious or one for factions. Jesus is different from any other man. Men always want to make their little claims. Men want to make their little categories, little divisions, their little movement, their little denomination. Jesus was not to be like that. He would not promote himself like men usually do. For often, Jesus says, tell no one who healed you. He wanted to grab and make him king. He'd walk away. Boy, you give the opportunity to any man today, they'll take it. You see, the important thing is that we see what our master was like so we can follow his steps. We begin that way, but the difficult part is to continue that way. Because it's so easy, we get attracted by the glory and the success and what's going on. And pretty soon, you know, it's, it's, it's no longer Jesus only, but it's Jesus in me. And it's a dangerous thing. Notice a bruised reed he would not break. And a smoking flax he would not quench. He would be gentle and caring shepherd with the most frail person ready to be broken. Typified by the bruised reed. A reed is, is a dried brush like that in the Nile that was very abundant. And you know, like a leaf, you go by a tree and it's kind of twigs kind of broken off. That's what it's talking about. Well, he would not just come by and say, oh, you wimp, break it. He's a, so tender and so caring as a shepherd that he would mend it. He would care for it. He could, he could restore. He's compassionate. He will be a source of hope and strength for the person who has no hope ready to give it up, typified by the smoking wick here, ready to be put out and snuffed out by a person. Rather, he would ignite it. 
You see a, a wick ready to go out. Somebody goes and pinches it. Not Jesus. Jesus would care for it. To ignite it. To give it life. There are four passages that are given to us that are called servant song. This is the first one, verse 1 through 4 here. The next one you have in chapter 49, verse 1 through 6. And then chapter 50, verse 3 through 9. And then the last one in chapter 52, verse 13, which is a better division for the chapter, and all of 53. Remember that a lot of times your divisions are not broken up the best. They can be better. That's one of them. Now notice thirdly, when you get to the end of verse 3 and 4, that he is God incarnate. He will bring forth justice for truth, justice regarding the provisions for salvation. No man can do this. Justice in that the wrath of God is satisfied without violating his holiness. That's quite a tricky thing. He is constantly referred to by Isaiah as the Holy One of Israel. The phrase appears 20 times in the first 41 chapters, 12 times after that chapter to the end. It is the key phrase, Isaiah. It's only found two or three other times in the rest of the scripture. It's key. He will not fail nor be discouraged. That's encouraging. Because though man fails, he would not fail. The intended mission of the God-man would be accomplished. See, we begin to deal of a plan, think of a plan, we put it together, we choose the people, we see if we have the resources, and then we implement and say, okay, let's see if it flows. But we're not certain because we're dealing with a lot of imperfect factors. When God put the plan of salvation together, there was no doubt that it's going to work. He picked the best man, his son. He made the plan in such a way that it would be efficient and would not violate his holiness. And then he set out a clock for it to be worked out. It was certain. The first Adam failed, but the last Adam would not fail. 1 Corinthians 15, 45. For the first Adam was made a living soul, but the last Adam a quickening spirit, regenerating spirit to make us born again. Notice Till he has established justice on the earth. How? By dying the most horrible death on the cross, being a ransom for sin, and saying, it is finished. Why? Because Mark 10, 45 says he came to serve and not to be served and give his life a ransom for many. By resurrecting from the dead, that was the evidence that the Father accepted the payment. If Jesus would not have risen from the grave, then the death on the cross would have been in vain, worthless. The resurrection was the receipt and the guarantee that the Father accepted the payment for sin. Justice is settled. And then ultimately, justice is the white throne judgment when he judges all mankind and all will be judged according to the book of life. There'll be no mistakes. It will be perfect. Notice the coastland shall wait for his law. He's still talking about the Gentiles. He will be welcomed by the Gentiles in fulfillment of their long wait, is what he's saying. And he would welcome them, not through law, but through grace. God is sharing a new thing that's happening here. He's announcing the New Testament church. He's announcing the new 
age of grace. A new thing before it springs forth. Daniel Webster, in the prime of his man who was dining one day with a company of literary men in Boston, the conversation turned on the subject of Christianity. And Mr. Webster expressed his belief in the divinity of Jesus Christ and his dependency on his atoning work as Savior. One said to him, Mr. Webster, can you comprehend how Christ could be both God and man? Mr. Webster promptly replied, no, sir, I cannot comprehend it. If I could comprehend it, he would be no greater than myself. I feel that I need a superhuman savior. That's good. So often the liberal or the uh, critic or the unbeliever thinks they're so chic and so smart with their little remarks. And they're trying to figure out God with a little peanut brain. Like an ant trying to argue with you as you stand over their mound. <laughs> the father declared from heaven, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. On the Mount of Transfiguration, Matthew 17, 5. He also declared that at the baptism. Now, the command has not changed for today. God still is saying the same thing. He only accepts the son. Hear him. He doesn't want you to listen to the Virgin Mary. He doesn't want you to listen to St. Jude. Not even the Pope. Not even Xavier. Or any other preacher. He wants you to hear the Son. And obey the Son. There's no other name. There's no other way. There's no other mediator. Now you may not like it. But you have to take that up with God. Because you don't believe it doesn't mean that it's fact. You may not believe it, gravity exists. But I hope you never have to fall from a great height. You'll be thoroughly convinced. And such will be the case before God for many people. As if they can just explain God away. Well, I don't believe that. Oh, that settles it. Hmm. Jesus is like no other man or leader. He never attempted to make himself great or famous. He never enriched himself or simply used people for his own benefit. Rather, he came to serve man through his death. Up to his death. This is the mind that God would have you and I have constantly. Now I have to work at having that mind as your pastor. It doesn't come natural. Naturally, I'm pretty honoring. Naturally, I, I, I like revenge. I have to work at being a Christian. I have to work hard. And so I have to have the mind of Christ and put it on, as Philippians 2.5 says, every day. Jesus sits at the right hand of God as evidence of his finished work as the God-man to make intercession for us, Hebrews 7.25 says. So the evidence of that is that we can go to him and he petitions for us. He cannot plead for one who does not see his need of him. God gives us free will. Hopefully you see your need and hopefully you call upon him. He is the servant of the Lord. This was to be the character of his person.
You want to make sure that you have a person of character to carry out the work that you entrust things to. Christ is such a person. Pastor Xavier Reese and the humble heart of our Savior. Be sure you tune in next time for more from today's study. Now, if you won't be able to join us, you can always pick up a copy of this message, and the title to ask for is The Servant of the Lord. It's available on CD for only $4. And this is a great way to share this ministry with your friends and loved ones. Now, once again, the title to ask for is The Servant of the Lord, or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And it's helpful when you mention the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us with our stewardship of this outreach. When is the right time to share your faith? That's part of our discussion on the next edition of Simple Truths with our teacher, Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 